Welcome to the Cherry Becker Tax Beat, a conversation about tax that matters. Welcome to today's Cherry Becker Tax Beat podcast. Today's topic is operational transfer pricing. Companies are almost through another tax filing season for 2021. Um, and 2020 and 2021 have certainly been unique for multinational companies with COVID-19 lockdowns, supply chain disruptions, everything's having a huge impact on the economy, global commerce. Uh, one of the more esoteric and interesting areas of tax in general and international tax specifically is um, transfer pricing. And so there's been a lot of impact on that with the economic downturns here over the last year or two. And it's an interesting discussion that we're going to have today to see what we've learned in the area of transfer pricing and specifically operational transfer pricing during these last two years. So uh, joining us today is Kirk Hesser. He is the leader of our transfer pricing analysis and consulting team. Hello, Kirk. How are you doing today? Hello, everyone. Happy to be part of the Tax Beats podcast, and I'm coming to you from Atlanta. Um. How hot is it today in Atlanta, Kirk? It's actually a little cooler today. We were very warm yesterday in the 90s, and today's in the 70s. Wow. Well, we we are like I'm sitting here in Richmond, and we likewise also had a uh, real cool down. It's very pleasant, very pleasant. All right. As always, joining me, my co-host Sarah McGregor. Uh, Hello, live from, Yeah, live yep. from Greenville, South Carolina. How's life treating you, Sarah? Life is good, Brooks, Kurt. It's good to be here. Uh, again, we had uh, fall came in yesterday and um, the weather feels like it today, which is excellent. I'm ready for fall. Pumpkin spice and all of that good stuff. Uh, and the end of 2021 filing season for tax returns. Uh, How about some- I, I echo that. Well, we still got 10:15 in front of us, guys. So don't, there's still a lot of excitement to go, and we got football in front of us too. <laughs> football. All right. So let's let's go on to today's topic of transfer pricing. Uh, again, transfer pricing is one of one of the more fascinating topics in all of tax law, and you know it's sometimes it's easy to lose sight of transfer pricing, but when you look at the total amount of money that's been involved in tax decisions in our legal system, and I mean like tax court decisions, Supreme Court decisions, transfer pricing has by far been the number one issue involved in the highest level of dollars. You know, and that's because it gets into these large multinational uh, conglomerate companies, whether they're drug or tech companies. But I mean, these issues trickle all the way down to the middle market clients that our firm serves. So um, very important topic. If you have any kind of uh, related parties in different jurisdictions, different nations, countries. All right. So what we often talk about is the additional tax and interest and penalties that can be applied. Um, when companies are moving taxable income, shifting taxable income between their different related parties from one tax jurisdiction to another. Uh, The penalties can be assessed for failure to maintain proper documentation on the intercompany transactions. Um, Most countries have implemented transfer pricing 
documentation requirements um, fairly similar to the United States, although clearly there are nuances uh, and differences. But uh, I would say to the layman, they feel very much the same. Um, it's becoming more and more common to see all the different countries uh, up, up, up in the ante in this space because they all want their tax dollars. They want their own revenue. And now we're seeing the OECD's influence in this area. And we'll have Kirk talk a little more about OECD and what they're doing later. Um, so you normally hear all this negative. Let's also not forget the positive in transfer pricing is a really good way to be proactive and do planning uh, using transfer pricing legally, legitimately, and effectively to implement smart tax planning. So enough about this topic from my perspective. Let's go to the expert, Kirk. From a 20,000-foot view, how do you view transfer pricing when you meet with a client? Well, it, uh, it's an interesting question, and and it's evolved over, I, I would think, at least the last several years. Uh, as when we think about the transfer pricing life cycle, uh, that typically involves planning transfer pricing, implementing transfer pricing, and then documenting your transfer pricing from a compliance perspective. And when I typically meet with clients, usually, uh, you know, a lot of times it's with the international tax specialist and we are talking about a lot of the things you mentioned, which is effective tax planning and getting our clients into a proper international uh, structure to, um, you know, meet their business and tax objectives. And from a transfer pricing perspective, we're typically talking to our clients about outcomes. And what I mean by that is, for example, if they are setting up uh, limited risk distributors in Europe in several locations, well, transfer pricing usually comes in and really talks about what the outcome should be for those distributors. Uh, for example, they should be earning a operating margin of X percent in each of these countries. And similarly, when we're talking to a client from a compliance perspective and we put together transfer pricing documentation, a lot of the methods in the U.S. regulations and certainly the OECD guidelines are, again, outcome focused, meaning we're looking at uh, the least complex entities or the less complex entities like a limited risk distributor. And to justify the transfer pricing, we're going to look at the outcome of those limited risk distributors in particular let's say their operating margins again and see if they're within a range of comparables that we've benchmarked and if they are we say that their transfer pricing is reasonable and or or arm's length meets the arm's length standard well you know you mentioned COVID-19 at the outset of the um, podcast and one of the things that always happens during uh, downturns, recessions, and certainly this time around through the last two years is, uh, you know, multinationals and uh, our clients a lot of times miss those outcomes. And what we've discovered along the way over uh, the years of speaking with clients is that a lot of them are missing their outcomes because they never really implemented their transfer pricing studies or their transfer pricing policies that uh, that uh, we or someone else has advised them some of those at some point along the way 
And what that really means is they're 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 missing out on the operational aspect of transfer pricing or operational transfer pricing, which means they're not getting their transfer pricing down into their financial records and not doing the journal entries. Uh, they, they may just be doing the transfer pricing study once a year and they figure they have their compliance uh, you know, burden done. The study's on the shelf and they're not really paying attention to it. So we've really morphed the way that we speak to clients, uh, particularly in, from a planning perspective, and really have tried to get them to focus on that operational transfer pricing. So, Kirk, when you talk about the the operational side and not meeting outcomes, I think here in 2022, uh, with the high inflation rates and limited uh, uh, resources or constraints on supplies, uh, driving prices as well, all those uh, plans may need to be revisited, particularly before year end, to make sure this operational side of the transfer pricing is is properly implemented. Absolutely. I, and, and that's what we really are trying to stress um, with the clients we speak with now is that so often we get to the point where it's time to file the tax return. Uh, the books are closed and it's you know summer or getting towards the deadline. And, and now we're looking at where we are in the ranges. What has been forgotten is that to really monitor transfer pricing during the course of the fiscal year so that uh, if you get to year end, you can monitor whether or not you are in or out of the range and you still have an opportunity to make a transfer pricing adjustment and get it booked uh, as opposed to waiting to tax return time. And then you either have to make a tax return adjustment or try to uh, come up with non-transfer pricing reasons and document them for why you're not in the range which can be a little bit of a stretch and a headache if if there there really aren't those reasons. Now, for the last two years, a lot of people have missed, a lot of clients have missed, and that you can point to a lot of things. But uh, even prior to that, um, I would say a lot of clients really aren't in the habit of monitoring their transfer pricing uh, within the fiscal year and looking to make those adjustments before they close their books. So Kirk, when I've dealt with transfer pricing, you know, kind of getting down to the practical level, you know, this operational transfer pricing, we we find ourselves getting into the world of intercompany agreements, and it just seems like it's uh, the end result in many ways of the operational transfer pricing exercise. So, um, talk to us about the necessity for these agreements, intercompany agreements, and what's important. Are they really that important? If they are, I mean, what what are you looking for in them? And you know, and particularly in the context of COVID nineteen and and some of this inflation and supply chain stuff going on now as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've always advocated that our clients have intercompany agreements, and there's there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, you know, from a U.S. standpoint, there there's no legal requirement to have an intercompany agreement. But certainly on the, a lot of foreign jurisdictions really like to see intercompany agreements in that that you're following them to the letter. I can I can think of Germany as as an example. 
And the other reason that we uh, advocate intercompany agreements is it's another thing that you can put into place to make it look like you are treating yourselves or your subsidiaries as at arm's length. If it was a third party, you'd certainly put an agreement in place. So to treat your uh, related parties in this manner and put an agreement in place certainly makes it looks like you're dealing with each other at arm's length. The, the other thing that uh, COVID pointed out, and again, back to uh, multinationals that were uh, missing ranges and outside of comparables ranges in their transfer pricing studies, a lot of these multinationals, as we all know, because of these supply chain disruptions and ec the economic downturn and shutdown, a lot of them were making global losses. And the first thing that we look for in intercompany agreements and one of the standard clauses that helps, and we knew this from back during uh, the last recession, is to make sure that you have a force majeure clause in there. And that really just says that, uh, you know, in the case of an unplanned event, um, you are going to share the risk. And therefore, for some of these limited risk entities like a distributor or a cost plus entity, typically tax authorities don't like them to make a loss or share in losses. Um, and a lot of the foreign tax authorities really won't make you or really won't let you make adjustments or adjust them down to costs or some, something less than costs or a loss if you don't have that type of a clause in an intercompany agreement. So, you know, that's where the intercompany agreements really uh, you know, become important. And at the same time, these year-end adjustments we spoke about, a lot of foreign tax authorities in particular do not like you to make adjustments after the after year-end or after the fact unless you have that type of a clause, clause in your intercompany agreement. And so that's where they, they really get uh, important is when unplanned events take place or year end adjustments to permit yourself to make uh, to make those adjustments and get yourselves into the range. Heard it seems sort of a chicken and egg kind of question here, which comes first, the the operational activity of, of, of transfer pricing or getting all your documentation in a row? Well, in the, that's kind of changed over the years for me as well. Um, you know, again, back to what I was saying at the at the outset of the conversation, when we spoke to clients, a lot of times it was it was a really an outcome based discussion in the area of transfer pricing, and I've really tried to change that here over the years, in that really focus on operational transfer pricing first is we know we are going to uh, you know, plan their transfer pricing to get them to a certain outcome in certain entities, um, but how, we need to explain to them how to get there. And what does transfer pricing look on a, look like on a day-to-day -day basis in order to achieve those outcomes? And we've really got to the point now where we've carved it out as a, you know, a part of the, the service we offer to our clients is operational transfer pricing in conjunction with designing their policies. Uh, because in the past, again, it, it just wasn't something we focused on. We were good at the planning part and we were good at the compliance part but we just weren't focused enough on the implementation and helping our clients get there. 
So to answer your question, I would say if if at all possible, I try to make it come first so that they have the operational transfer pricing in place, because if it is in place and uh, we're helping them monitor it or they are monitoring it, then the documentation piece really becomes easy because we know we're going to be in the range. All right. I've never, I've never heard anybody refer to transfer pricing documentation as easy. So well done, uh, Kirk. Yeah, you <laughs> just stole the line from my mouth, Sarah. I was getting ready to say the same thing. Wait a minute. Easy and transfer pricing documentation. All right. All right. Well, all right. So speaking of documentation again, um, let's talk about OE, OECD and BEP. So first you're going to have to um, explain OECD and BEPs and anyway, and what's the current status of their initiative and how's that impacting uh, U.S. companies? It's uh, OECD and BEPs. Um, BEPs began as an initiative by the OECD, um, I would say probably a decade ago now. And the initiative was really to um, put together a documentation platform that the world would follow. And there were there were several, I think at least three initiatives around transfer pricing for the OECD. There might have been more. I don't remember off the top of my head. But out of their uh, these initiatives, these BEPS initiatives, and I should explain what BEPS is as well. Um, that was base erosion and profit shifting. That was the name of the uh, the entire program by the OECD. Uh, but they put together a three tier documentation system for companies to document their transfer pricing. And that consists of first a master file, which I would say is, is really more of that 20 to 30,000 foot view of a company and an overall view of the company, uh, which really highlights uh, you know, the overall supply chain, um, where the entities are, uh, what assets are in the entities and some of the financial activities within, uh, within the entities. And then the second tier, which is is what's called a local file, and that was really when you get down into a country specific um, documentation for an entity in, for example, uh, the United Kingdom. That would document the local file documents all of the intercompany transactions that the UK conducts with uh, the rest of the global chain. And that's where you'd find your comparables benchmarking for the UK and the economic analysis and uh, the ranges that they are supposed to be within. And the third tier is for companies that are uh, over global revenues of 750 euros or roughly at the time about 850 million us and this was filed this was actually filed with the return of the ultimate parent entity and this is a tax return that lists uh, additional information about the global organization in terms of entities where they are, uh, where the C-suite is, um, where intercompany loans are, where intangibles are, and other assets. So there were really three layers of documentation, and uh, for those larger companies, it, it you know it was viewed as a fairly significant uh, compliance burden, and it's it's been around for a while. But interestingly, the U.S., uh, it, while they say they follow the OECD guidelines, 
the documentation regulations for the U.S. are still in place. The 6662 guidelines are still what the IRS expects to see. So it's really uh, you know, put the uh, compliance into a little bit of confusion for a lot of multinationals because they have to do the master file, local file, CBC, if they need it from uh, you know, a global perspective. But from a U.S. perspective, they're going, they're still going to expect to see it based on the 6662 regulations. Another country that really hasn't uh, complied or followed the master file, local file um, system is Canada. Uh, so you know, along with the U.S., they are they are two countries that really haven't hopped on board to the master file, local file. So there's the, the whole world and then uh, uh, North America, I guess. Um, uh, on yes. there. So so with these initiatives, that sounds like a lot of work is particularly with the uh, in, increase or the rise in country by country reporting. I'm assuming that there are. Uh, data, digital data analytics and things that are helpful to companies to operate here um, in, in this space. And, and you're, you guys and your team are not in the back room uh, flipping pages uh, and, and handwriting up all of this documentation. <laughs> no, but it, it wasn't it wasn't too long ago that we were. <laughs> but uh you know, we there are digital platforms out there, and in fact, uh, we have partnered with a group out of the Netherlands called TP Tuned, and they have transfer pricing software called Reptune. And uh, Reptune is a documentation generator that does follow the OECD guidelines and the master file, local file, and it will also help out with CBC reporting. And we've We've been uh, partnering with them in terms of putting together global documentation now for our clients based on that format. And what we've done to solve the US piece of that really means we have to bridge that to US documentation, which really amounts to an appendix, which points out where the master file, local file information um, you know, would be contained that is the same that would be required in the 6662 documentation. And at the same time, one big difference between US regulations and OECD guidelines is the whole idea about transfer pricing method selection. In the US, you have to select the best method, but you also have to explain why you didn't select other transfer pricing methods. That's not a requirement of the OECD, so that is uh, another thing we have to kind of bolt on to the software. But uh, you know, the digital solution or the transfer pricing software does make documenting or generating the documentation much easier as once you have all the information into software like that, you can really uh, print out or generate master file, local files for an entity with the push of a button. All right. Well, all very good stuff. So I think we need to get to kind of wrapping up here. Um, Sarah, you have any uh, final thoughts on our operational transfer pricing discussion today? Um, yeah, I think just over the last uh, three years and year rolling or two years and rolling through 2022, we're really seeing how flexibility and constant attention to uh, transfer pricing activity, as you said, Kurt, the, the operational side 
is really important. And I'm always looking to the end of the year and what we should do for planning for year end. And this is definitely an area that people should can get buttoned up before we get around to filing tax returns uh, next spring and summer. Agree, agree. Uh, Kirk, any final words on your end? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that my final word to advisors and um, clients would would really be to ask yourself, how are you using or utilizing your transfer pricing study? Um, are, are you using it as a tool to to really help your planning and get yourself into the ranges because presumably the plans were set up and the outcomes along with them to help you achieve your tax and business objectives and if you're not getting there with your operational transfer pricing then you, you certainly aren't achieving those objectives and at the same time uh, we've we've done a we've had a lot of conversations around supply chain and all the opportunities there are if you look at one supply chain and all the services that we offer as a firm and uh, when you think about all of the information that goes into a master file a local file or a transfer pricing study they are rich with information in terms of uh, you and your advisors to sit down and go through it and really discover opportunities in in uh, in the supply chain and in that information that are in there and perhaps think of some other uh, tax friendly services that that uh, we as advisors can offer. Well, I certainly like that message. And so um, I think that's a great selling point for transfer pricing. Um, so in a diff in in addition to all the intricacies that you've been discussing, it's also a launching point for numerous other value added services. Excellent, excellent. I think that's just a perfect uh, thought to end this on. So uh, let's conclude this discussion of operational transfer pricing. Um, a quick disclaimer about this podcast, we're not providing tax advice, specific tax advice that is. Please consult with your tax advisor, hopefully at Cherry Beckert with your own specific tax issues or just or to discuss information from today's podcast check out the firm's website at cbh.com for the latest guidance and materials on this and other tax and business topics uh, all right this concludes today's podcast please like share and subscribe thank you kirk thank you our listeners for spending your time with us we truly appreciate it let's call it a day and go forth in peace